We all hate it, and even people who say they love it, we know are lying. What do they hate? Yeah, Keith, you're right. Cold calling. Ah, the rejection. It's just almost too much for all of us to take. So today, we're going to take a look at what cold calling looks like in the media space today. And correspondingly, what impact does the sales funnel have on the value of all media properties? I'm thinking specifically radio stations that need salespeople. And the CRB throws streaming audio under the bus once again. So for Thursday, June 24th, this is Media Insult. Greetings again. I'm Jackson Weaver, along with my SoCal media buddy, Mr. Keith Samuels. Keith, good morning. Good We're morning, here for Jackson. Episode of Media <laughs> good Insulted. to see you, buddy. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Just so people know, in case they just tuned in, there's an old phrase. Uh, we just do our opinions here on all things media. And a couple of weeks ago, Keith, you had a really good example of bad management about doing a cold calling team door-to-door day for your radio station yeah so let me ask you have you ever really enjoyed cold calling no hate it you know it's the it's the, <laughs> it's the most you know it's if if you have even the slightest ounce of uh, of call reluctance yeah this is gonna this is gonna drive you to drink for sure and uh no it's probably the least favorite thing to do and 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 it's probably the, the one thing that most people aren't good at and the ones that are tend to be so slick in their approach that if they do get an appointment, it's likely to get canceled. If they do get an appointment and maybe they get an order, that's likely to get canceled. So, you know, the real, you know, the real great sellers that I've met and managed and, and sometimes got lucky enough to hire and even train uh, or consult were, were found ways to not cold call. They figured out that the best results came from warming up cold calls and so uh you know it's so they they you what you don't make cold calls you know and and managers managers love hearing their salespeople smiling and dialing you know and if it's not 25 cold calls a week that's going to get it done try 50 you know and uh and if it's if, if, if 50 isn't good enough as uh, as our good friend Brian Burns would say on his brutal truths podcast about sales is that then 100 try try 200 just keep dialing because somewhere along the line you're going to get you're going to get somebody to say yeah I'll talk to you and I'll get an appointment no cold calling is uh, the bane of our existence in all of sales and it's really really bad in media sales people are trying to do now is is try to figure out a way to to uh, get to people who aren't answering their phones, who don't respond to emails, and frankly, you know, run out the back door if you show up in their business. And who can do that in the last, you know, year and a half? You know, where you could just show up in a business and go, hi, I'm Keith. You know, you got a few minutes to talk about your marketing? No. <laughs> well, I've, I've found two things with, with people who are good at cold calls. They either have a discipline and they're really focused on it, and they do 10 calls a day or whatever the figure is. They're very dedicated to it. Not a lot of people will do that. Or the other problem, 
is the guy who's really good at cold calls and wouldn't know how to follow up if you if you kicked him in the butt with it. <laughs> right. So, yeah. and and you know the truth is we've done it all. We've tried all kinds of things: phone calls, text, email, drop-ins, and, and as you said, that's gotten very difficult. But the technology that's helped us has also hurt us a lot. I mean, it's really easy to record to ignore phone calls with caller ID. Yep. Emails go to junk folders. And, you know, frankly, most of their clients have pretty good gatekeepers, although that's probably always been the case. So, it, and, you know, there, there was an interesting story here a couple of weeks ago where Goldman Sachs, no, excuse me, it was Merrill Lynch. Mm. I thought Merrill Lynch yes. came along and they uh, take their new trainees and they used to put them in a hothouse. And between 7 in the morning and 8 o'clock at night, they did nothing but cold calls. And we've all gotten those calls. Hey, how are you doing on your investments? Are you looking forward to retiring? Whatever their their come on was, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they have decided to cancel that program. They found that they only got an answer rate of 2%. And of those people who answered the phone, only another 2% actually became customers of Merrill Lynch. So you can see that it was not working. Yeah, yeah. So then the question becomes today, regardless of the industry, I don't care whether you're in media or you're selling roofing products, how do you do cold calling in this kind of an environment? Keith, what do you tell your clients? Well, you know, I, I give them a little bit of advice that I have on an index card here on my desk all the time. And, and it, it, I've forgotten the source. If I knew, if I remember the source, it might have been Sandler. It might have been uh, you know, somebody else I was reading. But there are three steps to, you know, kind of starting off this sales process with new prospects that you haven't called on before, and now you have to because your job depends on it. And the three piece of, pieces of advice I have is that, you know, you, you need to know me as a prospect, okay? If I'm your prospect and you're a salesperson, Jackson, you need to know me. You need to enlighten me, and you need to inspire me, okay? Then... We can have a conversation about my marketing challenges, the issues I have in reaching my target audience, you know, getting new business, getting you know, old customers back, whatever it might be. So how do you, how do you get to know me? Well, you know, you've got to do everything you can. Send letters of introductions, get referrals from other successful advertisers who might know this person. You know, do a, a, a newsletter that you're sending out to prospects that, that show that you know what you're talking about and what kinds of problems you're good at solving, you know, what you do really well. You enlighten me about your skills, your experience, because most of the people doing the cold calling are the rookie reps who have no idea what they're doing or how to even put together a commercial, let alone uh, you know put together a marketing plan for somebody that involves audio and digital and you know video and whatever else, promotions and endorsements. They have no freaking clue, but they're calling, they're making cold calls. And then how do you inspire me? I mean, how can you really like motivate me? To be, let my guard down, let you into my world, and we can have a, a really good discussion about, you know, the challenges I'm facing and, and what you can or cannot do in helping me solve those challenges. Be honest with me, you know? Well, I think the inspiration comes from uh, developing that integrity with a client. Yep. But to develop that integrity with a client, it takes time with the client. And yes, you can do, I agree with you, you know, newsletters and that kind of thing can be at least marginally valuable. It's interesting because Merrill Lynch has basically said to their sales team, you're doing cold calls with referrals and with social media. Now, referrals are great, 
except for most of those guys that we're talking about, what I call yellow pages sales sales members. And uh, until you develop a Rolodex, now there are two antiquated terms I've used in one <laughs> sentence. And, you know, half the millennials watching this are going, what are yellow pages and Rolodex? Is that a new app? So the point is, is that is that how do you get that started? And that's really gotten to be very, very difficult. Yeah, and so so now you see, and you, you see if you follow anybody on you know on LinkedIn that is in the media business, um, you know they're all um, sharing all of this marketing content and 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 articles that their content writing staff, most of which has never sold airtime in their lives, but they're writing content for media properties about how great that media property is and how how wonderful they are at uh, helping you do your digital marketing even though they're audio or they're television video whatever and so it's it's all of this kind of inbound marketing that media has fallen in love with thanks to a number of consultants out there that have drunk the Kool-Aid from HubSpot uh, back in Boston about how to do this, where they just created this form of marketing out of thin air. So, you know, so you're, you're seeing all of this content out there. You can't even cut through the content clutter to see what radio station or television station group you want to do business with. You know, a lot of it is you're building your own personal brand. And how do you do that? You get results for the customers you work with now. You get renewals from those customers because, you know, I've said it a million times and I'll keep saying it till I'm blue in the face is that your best prospects are your current customers. Okay. Your best prospects yep. for upselling, yep. for renewing, for getting more revenue is, are your existing advertisers that you're already working with and know you. And then if you're doing that well, get referrals from them. Who else like, who else has problems like you, Jackson, that I can help? You know what I do well. Who else you think I can work with well. And if you can get a handful of referrals, and that's already a warmed up cold call because Jackson said, or Jack, Jackson, would you, would you introduce me? Would you tell Larry to take my call when I call? Because I haven't been able to get through to him. Um, and, you know, and, then, and then as salespeople, I think, you know, I, I, I'll never forget uh, a story when you know, one of the media buying services in, in Seattle was, was meeting with uh, the country competitor. And, and, and the country competitor to my radio station was telling them all this stuff about their signal. And it's going to be so much better. And we're going to be just as big as KMPS. And they said, look, you know, quit lying to me. Come on. How can you tell me something you even know isn't true? So give it up. So... <laughs> You know, early on in these relationships, don't make outlandish claims. Don't be a knucklehead about what you can do and what you can't do or how great you are or how great your stations are and so forth. It doesn't matter to anybody until you've, been, you've proven to them and they've gotten the proof that you know what you're talking about and you can actually do what you say you're going to do. And that you can actually right. help them. You know, I think that's that's really the the key thing, and you know, nothing will enhance that credibility than being candid with them about what you can and can't do. You know, a three hundred dollar budget is not going to blow out the, you know, the the car sale. Yeah, but hey, hey, we'll just run I a bunch of overnights thing... and weekends. It'll be great. Three hundred bucks will work great. Don't worry. Just give me the order. <laughs> and we've all we've all seen that. You know, I think there's also an opportunity, and it, you just have to be really creative about it. It, it takes time, and now that COVID is, is beginning to wane, we can do things like this. You know, we used to do at uh, one of the stations I ran, we'd basically buy a batch of pizzas and take them to the car dealer for a lunch. No obligation. Put the logo on the stack of pizzas, stack them up, let the sales guys, let the service guys, anybody that wanted to. And all it did is soften up the ability for us to get in the front door 
with the uh, with the owner or with the manager. You know, uh, another thought that uh, you know on this list of things of how you get there, email videos lately have begun to work mm-hmm. reasonably well. It's it's an interesting door opener, but you got to personalize it. It's got to be. Hey, Keith, this is Jackson calling from WXLO, and here's what I've got going on, and love to talk to you, or whatever your, yeah. your message is. So then the set, the question becomes, this is really, I think, really in, an interesting uh, shift on, on exactly what we're talking about here, is that in my office we see a lot of small media market radio stations for sale with little or no activity. Mm. I'll give you a good example. West Coast radio station, market of about 35000 Historically, build fifty to sixty thousand dollars a month, profitable. They own a nice hunk of real estate, nice studios, <laughs> no interest. And you look at why there's no interest. It's because the sales staff is the owner and his wife. And when they go away, what happens to that fifty thousand dollars a month? How much of that money has been there? Because yeah, you know, we've been doing business with Dale for all these years. And so I, I look at it and I say, you know, there really are three things that are really really restricting the value of these stations. The sales teams like this mom and pop, mature and ready to retire. And there's nobody there in the in the team to step into their place. There's no sales team in place, which happens mm-hmm. occasionally. And in those cases, you know, we, we've got, we used to have these general managers and, and sales managers who all wanted to move up and buy a radio station. Yeah, I'm gonna be the local radio guy. And that farm team doesn't exist anymore. What do you do and how do you sell a station in that kind of an environment? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> it's really, really, as you know, better than I, it's, it's nearly impossible. You know, you, you do have groups that specialize in small markets that, you know, do things, you know, uh, reasonably well for small markets because they're able to afford a local sales staff by centralizing most of the expenses via either programming or via accounting or via trafficking, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, you know, you, you do the best yeah. you can. Yeah. However, the minute you take those two people out of the equation uh, and then you got, you got Keith and Jackson on the street, it's like, uh, you know what? We're no, we're no, we're not doing it. And you see it and you see it really affecting these small community newspapers too. You know, as well, because, um, you know, as they get bought up and consolidated, you know, and, and their sales guy or their, you know, in-market publisher uh, ends up retiring, uh, they consolidate the sales organization in a nearby town and try to cover that town, too. And it's really a struggle. It's really hard because there's, it, there's so much in the markets that size rely so much on relationship selling uh, and, 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 you know, you live with those people that you're trying to get advertising to work for. So, boy, you know if it's working, you know if it's not, but you've got to have that kind of relationship. And, boy, I, yeah, God bless them. I, I, don't, I don't know that a lot of those stations are going to survive. They're, they're just going to turn them off. Yeah, I think, I, think, uh, I think we will see that. We've already seen stations going dark for financial reasons. And to your point, yes, uh, you know, companies like Town Square can come along and acquire them, and that's great. But then they're, quote, unquote, in the community known as, yeah, they're corporate owned. They're owned yeah. by the big guys. And they lose a lot of that uh, that local appeal. So it's going to be very interesting. And, you know, I think you're right. I think we'll see a lot of these stations sadly kind of uh, go away. 
CRB is kicking radio and the streamers under the bus again, and you and I have uh, only talked a little bit about this, but essentially this is the, I know this is, uh, you know, in some ways way too detailed, but the Copyright Royalty Board collects money for the artists and writers for streams. So when you're listening to Spotify or you're listening to your radio station streaming, there's a small payment per song played, interestingly, that's split between composition or whoever composed it and the recording artists and the labels. Now, this has turned out to be a great deal for the labels, as you and I were talking, because suddenly the labels get all of this revenue, literally billions of dollars, and they don't have to do anything. They no longer have to distribute hard copies. They don't have to have warehouses. They don't have to have sales teams. They just sit back and just kind of pass it on through. And so, you know, CRB is increasing their rates by some 16%. And because none of these companies are making money, everybody's objecting, and I'm sure it'll end up in court. But, you know, I think as also as a radio station, particularly as a radio station, they just there's this nickel and dime thing that goes on in radio. And in a business that's flat, that's had no increase in revenue really over the past yep. 12 years now, we just get nickel and dime to death. Well, yeah, we're getting nickel and dime to death. Why do you think Spotify has never made a profit? Spotify does not make money because their 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 rights fees are so what they have to pay are so extraordinary that they can't they can't make money. So if you think that Spotify uh, is just so in love with podcasts because it's such a brilliant medium, it's only because they want to sell you know their commercial free their their they want to sell their special tiers to get subscription revenue and audio only spoken word audio they don't have to pay rights fees for so yeah they'll pay 20 million to to potty mouth uh you know call your daddy because there's no music they have to pay so hey great we're gonna save a ton of money you know uh not having to pay play records uh, or play music so you know same thing with pandora 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 never made any money now it's part of sirius xm and the rights fees kill them as well. So, yeah, it's it's if 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 the big guys are getting crushed, what's it doing to to you know your 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 little oldies station in Wausau, Wisconsin? You know, you're just you know be, between right, arbit- right. between Nielsen yeah. fees, between your uh, music rights, uh, and how how do you pay anybody? How do you make any money? Yeah, it gets and and most of these are are dependent on most of the music rights are dependent at least somewhat on revenue. But in streaming, it's totally a, a case of cost per song per listener. And, you know, I know a couple of people over the years who have gotten out of the streaming business very specifically because yeah. they just simply couldn't make any money with it. You know, I had a friend who had a uh, thing called North Pole Radio, and he played Christmas music all year long. Well, come November, December, and even January, his listenership so just soared, right? <laughs> and soon he's writing... It, yeah, exactly. And soon he's writing checks yeah. for thousands of dollars on a yeah. So if so if you're wondering if you're wondering why the only so, way you can stream an iHeart owned radio station, okay, is is through the, your your iHeart right, app, right? Or even if you're on your computer and you go to the station's website and you want to stream it, it's back streaming it through their iHeart Media app. And so uh, well, that's because it allows them to aggregate every stream and and then put ads across every stream in a in tonnage like you wouldn't believe between the gateway ads and the spots that are running in the stream so they have found a way to to cover that cost by by maximizing the revenue potential by aggregating all these streams 
You know, you, you just don't get to buy, you know, you don't get to just do Kiss FM stream. That's all part of the iHeart package. So wherever your stream is coming from, wherever, whatever radio station you want to stream, you're, you're going through the app, and that's how they've dealt with that. Odyssey's done the same thing with their radio.com. Now is it audio.com? Have they changed the name of it? Odyssey.com, oh, their, uh, their Odyssey. app, they're doing the same yeah. thing. Other people are doing it through TuneIn and some of these other aggregation services of radio streams. Uh, so that you know you can you don't you, so you can make a little bit of money on it because it's just too damned expensive. So thank you CRB for jacking the rates up again this year. You know, hey, let's just kill the golden goose. Well, the uh, the NAB really proposed a dramatic decrease, and uh, they wanted to more than double the rate. So I guess sixteen percent is a compromise, and compromise is ultimately defined as something where no one <laughs> yeah, walks yeah, yeah, away so. happy. We got a good compromise. Okay, Keith. <laughs> We've had our fun for the day. Uh, it always goes too quickly. We'll do it again next Tuesday when uh, we have more opinions and insults on Media Insultant. Keith, real quickly, where can people find our well, podcast? Well, obviously video on YouTube. Our uh, so check that out at, at Media Insultant. But, but, but in the meantime, while we get that, that straightened out, find, us, find, us the, find our audio version over at, uh, or at Apple Podcasts, at Audible Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, Spotify, every, wherever you find a, a podcast you'd like to listen to, you'll find us. So Media Insultant is everywhere. We are everywhere, and we'll see you, too, you Jackson. all Take Tuesday. care, buddy. Keith, see you. Have a good weekend.